a community church up there. And I had this really bright idea uh, that rather than drive up there or fly, I would, I would take the train um, and spend about five hours just alone working on the train on my way to Chicago on Wednesday. So my train was supposed to leave at 7.55 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Um, I got a call, and it turns out that, no, it's actually going to be about half an hour later than that. Uh, then I got a text message. No, it's actually going to be about an hour uh, late. And, and so then I got to the station and, and ready to get on the train, and then I heard a little voice crackle over the PA. Uh, we're sorry, but it's actually going to be another half an hour before the train arrives. This happened uh, from 7.55 a.m. until 2.45 p.m., on Wednesday. Um, so uh, it, it was okay, you know, just a, a slight seven-hour delay. Um, went to Chicago, went to this amazing leadership summit. I mean, really inspiring, and, and I'm going to share some of that with you today. And then I, I got on the train on Friday to come back, um, and I got to the station and in line, and they said, folks, this is it's going to be a little slight delay um, and I thought, oh man, I, I know, I know where this is going. Uh, but sure enough, we got on the train, we pulled out of Chicago about an hour late, about 45 minutes outside of Chicago in an area called Joliet, the train grinds to a halt. PA comes on, it says, sorry folks, there's been a gas main break about 10 miles ahead. We're going to stay here until we get this thing fixed. I thought, oh man. Then the announcement came back on. Folks, we're going to be here for a couple hours while they're fixing the gas break. And no, da- no, no joke, they said, if, if you need to step out for a, a cigarette, we're going to open a couple of the, the train cars. And I'm like, I don't smoke, but I'm about to start right, right now. Um, when I, and then somebody came through and said, it may be midnight before we get out of here. Okay? So I conspired with like the five nearest people around me and said, you guys... Uh, we got to get out of here. And we didn't know, nobody knew one another. Um, one person got on the phone, called Enterprise Rental Car. Another person had a friend that lived about 10 miles away. Uh, she was going to come and pick us up. Five of us picked up our luggage and walked and abandoned the train, like in the middle of nowhere. We're like walking away from the train. Are we allowed to do this? A car came and picked us up, five of us, at the side of the road. And while we're in the car going to Enterprise, we're like, oh, hi, my name's Brent. Uh, you know, we're meeting each other. We get to Enterprise. We rented a car like five minutes before it closed. We get in the car. We're heading to St. Louis. We're like, okay, finally. And then this little light comes on in the car. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It says, you know, tire pressure. And the person that's driving says, what does that mean? I said, well, one, you know, PSI is not exactly right on one of the tires. Maybe it's like 31 pounds, supposed to be 32 pounds. No big deal. Right when I said no big deal, we're wobbling all over the road. We pull over. I'm just like, this can't be real. I mean, it can't be real. I jump out. I'm a one-man NASCAR pit crew. I change the tire. I could actually hear one of the women on the phone, like a younger, just out of college, saying, it's okay, Dad. Pastor Brent is changing the tire. (laughs) I'm like, we're getting home. We, We got home about 1030 on Friday night, found out the train had actually turned back and went back to Chicago. So I mean it when I say I'm really, really glad to be here today. Thank God. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just needed to unburden myself, and I appreciate you indulging me. Um, so community is what we're talking about. Last week, 
uh, we explored uh, some passages that demonstrated that you and I, every one of us, no matter where we come from, whatever background we come from, we're built for, we're made for, we're designed for community. Uh, and, and even if you're, if you're not a believer and you're not believing in the scriptures, all the research bears this out. Uh, you live longer, you're happier, you're more fulfilled, you're more productive if you're engaged in real, genuine, authentic, meaningful relationships with other people. In fact, one of the, one of the um, uh, studies that we looked at last week said that you know, when people had the, the common cold, uh, if they had deep relationships with other people, um, they had less of the virus, they got over the cold more quickly, and they produced less mucus than somebody that's not in uh, good relationships. And so we determined that people not in community are snottier than people that are in community. Um, and so it's just a good thing to be a part of a community. Um, the problem is that we are, as human beings, notoriously bad at living together in harmonious, loving relationships. We're not good at it. Uh, I think all of us, if we will admit it, would struggle from time to time in our relationships, uh, either with unforgiveness or frustration or ingratitude or jealousy or whatever. Things can arise up and divide us, right? And since time immemorial... Immemorial, uh, 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 human beings have been notoriously bad at living in community. There have been wars and there have been all sorts of atrocities, uh, slavery and witch hunts and crusades and, uh, you know, just every imaginable form of disunity uh, that, that could happen. We've done that. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. Uh, you know, we, we struggle living in um, community. All we have to do, this is the one-year anniversary uh, of the Michael Brown uh, shooting in our own community, in our own backyard. That demonstrates sufficiently that we have trouble living together in harmonious, loving, merciful community, and yet we are made for it. We are made to love and to be loved and to love others. We're made to be forgiven and to forgive, to experience mercy to give mercy, to experience grace, to extend grace, to celebrate others, to be celebrated ourselves. That's what we are made for. So today, whether you're a, a Christian or not, this, this impacts you directly. Uh, if you're here today and somebody just dragged you here and you're not quite sure what to believe about all this music and the Bible stuff and the preaching stuff, uh, you still know that community, a harmonious community, impacts your life deeply. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this needs to be interwoven into the very fabric of who you are, because we are called as a people to live in harmony with one another, to create a loving, merciful, harmonious, unified community, not only for ourselves, but so that other people all around us will look at the love that we have for one another and say, I want to worship the person that they worship. I want to worship the God that they worship. By this will all men know you're my disciples for your love one for another. We're called to this um, in community. So I'm going to spend a few minutes today exploring a portion of a letter that was written by one of the most uh, influential thinkers and writers in all of history, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had founded a, a, a church, a small community, in a city called Corinth. And Corinth, uh, unlike some other communities where churches were founded, was wildly diverse. People were coming from different ethnic, racial uh, backgrounds, religious backgrounds, uh, every you know, cultural backgrounds, every imaginable sort of disparity and, 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 and diversity that you can imagine was represented in this city. 
And so Paul planted this church, and then he left to go plant other churches. That's what he did. He would go and plant churches. And it, 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 he discovered, because they had written him uh, uh, you know, some letters, that the church was facing all sorts of division and all sorts of disunity. There were factions arising in the church. There were arguments over all kinds of uh, topics, theological topics and social topics and all, you know, everything that people argue about. Um, and so he wrote this letter to them to say, this is what the community of Christ is supposed to look like, and this is how it is supposed to function. Um, and he used this really brilliant analogy that has just grown on me over the years, and I'm going to share it with you. So let's look at what he says. First of all, I'm titling this sermon, It's Hard to See with Your Elbow, and that hopefully will become clearer in just a moment. He said, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now take a moment, just take a moment, look down at yourself right now. Don't look at your neighbor, just look at yourself. You got feet down there, you got legs, you got your belly, your chest, your shoulders, your arms, your hands. Can't really see your neck, but you have, you have one, I assure you. Uh, what, what he's saying is that the community is like a body. There are all these different parts. They all do different things. They all have different functions, but it is just one body. Um, and that's the way he says it is with the body of Christ. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, wherever you're coming from, whatever your background, we're, we're pulled together by one spirit to form one body. He says, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then he elaborates, and he uses a little bit of humor here. I'm not sure how funny it is, but um, he says, if, if, the, uh, uh, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, he says, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Just because the foot may say, hey, I'm not a hand, so I don't fit here. He's saying, that doesn't disqualify you. Um, he says, if, uh, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. In other words, he's saying there's a diversity in the body and there's a necessity to each part of the body. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He's saying, don't compare yourself to somebody else and say, I'm not like them, therefore I don't qualify. He's saying, without your particular piece, without your particular function, without your particular role, the whole thing doesn't work. Um, and then he says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. There should be no division, he says, in the body. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then he ends with this. He says, now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of of it. This analogy is really, really powerful when we allow it to sort of percolate and, and into our hearts. Because what you see is this image, not of people just off on their own, doing their own thing, walking through life separately and isolated. What you see is a group of people, all with their distinctions, all with their diverse strengths and gifts and abilities, working together in a unified way as one body for the purpose of bringing 
the gospel bringing the love of Christ, the mercy, the grace of Christ into the world around them. We're all one, though many, he says. Uh, and each part has to work for the whole thing to work right. Um, I used to drive a few years ago uh, a 2000 Camaro convertible. And I really, really thought that this was awesome. Um, I, I bought it thinking, actually, I bought it thinking that I would impress Rebecca before we got married. I thought, she's going to dig this car. And I went and bought this car. And this car had like chrome mag wheels on it. It had, it had like a Bose surround sound system. It had this paint job that kind of, depending on the light, it could be hunter green or like deep purple or even like royal blue. You know, I mean... I was like, man, I got the chameleon paint job. I got the sound bump, and I got the rag top down. Um, she was really embarrassed to ride in this car. <laughs> it almost ruined our relationship. But, um, uh, but I thought it was really cool. Um, but here's the one thing that wasn't cool about this car. Is between the, the rag top and the window, there was a little rubber seal. And that little rubber seal was defective. And it was a tiny little glitch in the rubber. Everything else worked on the car beautifully. The engine was great. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was an awesome car. Mike, you would have liked this car. I know there are some gearheads out there that are like, what, man? That's an awesome car. Um, but it, was, it, it, was, it, it had this one defect in the, in, the, in, the, in the rubber lining. And so when it rained, the rain would just spray right in. It wouldn't trickle in. It would just spray right into the car. And the faster I went, the greater the spray. And I can tell you there's nothing less cool than like being on your way. I was a practicing lawyer at that time on your way to a deposition or a trial and you're trying to get focused and there's like a shower spraying in at you and you get off and that, you know, you walk in and the judge sees you drenching wet. It's just, it's not a cool thing, but it's because one little seemingly non-essential part, one little obscure tiny piece of this machine wasn't doing its thing. And so the whole thing lost its its purpose, or at least it was, you know, uh, compromised, let's just say. Um, what Paul is trying to teach us in this passage, and there are a few um, principles that I want to pull out of this. One is this, that your gifts are unique and specific to you. The things that, and you can follow along with this in your study guide, uh, your gifts, your strengths, your abilities, they are unique and specific to you. About a year and a half ago, the Barna Research Group um, took a poll of a number of Christians and they asked them um, whether they had a sense of calling or purpose in life. And in that study, what they found is that um, practicing Christians, uh, only 40% of them said, yes, I have a sense of calling or purpose in my life. That means 60% of Christians that were surveyed by the Barna Research Group said, I really don't have a clear sense of purpose uh, or meaning in my life. I want us to change that. I don't think that's a good number because I think, you know, I think God has, has uh, designed us, uniquely gifted us, uniquely um, prepared us to fulfill his purposes in life. And he's, and he's trying to, uh, he's seeking to let each one of us discover that and develop that and exercise that in the community. Um, 20 years ago, there was a, uh, a guy named Richard Stearns who was the president of a company called Linux. And Linux was uh, a, a producer of really fine dinnerware. Does anybody know Linux dinnerware? So like bone china, like really nice stuff. Um, 
And uh, Richard was over three divisions. He was over six manufacturing facilities. There were 4,000 employees under him. He was managing about $500 million in annual sales at Lenox. Uh, but then something happened in his heart, and God began to stir in Richard's heart and say, you know those gifts that you have, those business skills, those um, financial skills, those administrative skills that you have? I have, a, I have a distinct purpose that I want you to use those for. Um, and in 1998, Richard uh, became the president of a corporation called World Vision, a nonprofit agency called World Vision. Um, he went from making fine China, pl- fine China plates to feeding tens of thousands of hungry and starving kids all around the world through this World Vision. The, the, the uh, income of World Vision, the, the amount of money that was given to it for the purpose of, of giving uh, food to the poor, uh, tripled under his leadership, and the, the overhead costs decreased by a third. God was saying to this man, look, you know, it may be that your skills are being used exactly uh, the way they should be in your workplace right now, and that would be great. But in this case, he said, I've got a particular and unique calling for you. I, wanna, I want you to fulfill that in, this, uh, in the calling of overcoming and eradicating poverty and justice in the world. Um, and uh, Richard Stearns is now the president of, of, of World Vision, and they're just doing amazing, amazing work. Um, so I would ask you, what are your particular strengths? What are your unique skills? You may think that you don't have them. You may think that they're not that vital. You may think that they're not that important. But the Scripture is teaching us that each and every single part is vital to the overall working of the body. Um, Now, this part is not in your notes, Uh, but in addition to discovering what your strengths are, to really function well in the community of Christ, it's also important to discover what your blind spots are. Um, And and this is really fascinating because blind spots are different from weaknesses. How many of you can say, like, I kind of know what my weaknesses are? I I have some weaknesses. I know what they are. So not that many of you. That's good. Um, uh, So here's the thing. Here's the difference between weaknesses and blind spots. A weakness is something you know about yourself. You say, I'm not that good in this area, or I struggle in this area. A blind spot is something by definition that you don't know about yourself because you can't see it because it's a blind spot. That's how the whole thing works. Um, So overcoming our blind spots, uh, in fact, there was a great parable that Jesus talked about taking the moat out of your eye and then taking the speck out of somebody else's eye. Sometimes we don't even know what our blind spot is. Uh, But to function effectively in the body of Christ, the only way to discover your blind spots is in community with other people because you can't see them on your own. Um, So how do we do that? A few ways that we discover and overcome our blind spots in community is, number one, we seek feedback from people we trust. You can't do that if you're not in community. You can't seek feedback from somebody. Have you ever just taken the risk of saying, hey, would you give me some feedback? How am I doing in this area or that area? I mean, it's a little bit frightening to do that because you're probably going to hear something you weren't expecting. When I was at this conference, Bill Hybels said that he always thought that one of his great strengths was uh, calmness under pressure. He's like, you know, one thing that I'm really good at is when there's a lot of stress, I'm cool. And people, you know, I keep things calm. And he said that there was a time in their church where there was just a lot of stress and a lot of things going on. 
And he was in the office, and he was talking to one of his staff members, a a colleague, and the colleague said to him, Bill, listen, uh, you're starting to go down the crazy train, and I'm not going to ride it with you this time. And Bill Hybels is sitting there going, what? And she's like, yep, you're stressing everybody out, and I just can't take this emotional roller coaster with you. Good luck on the crazy train. Call me when you're done. And she, like, walked out of his office. And so he said, you're fired. No, he didn't. He said, uh, he thought, well, that's weird. She, She must not know me that well. So he went jogging with a friend of his, he said, that afternoon. And they're jogging along, and he told this friend of his, he said, you know what, one of my colleagues said that I was on the crazy train, like that I get stressed out, and I, you know, and I admit stress to everybody else. And he said his friend that was jogging with him, like, literally stopped jogging. And was like, yeah, you didn't know that? Like, you're the only one that doesn't know that. When you're stressed out, everybody around you is stressed out, Bill. And it was like, it dawned on him over a few conversations like this that what he thought was a strength was actually a weakness, right? It was a blind spot. So to function well in the body of Christ and to develop yourself and your own gifts and your own strengths, you've got to be in community with other people who are willing to open up and reveal your weaknesses and your blind spots to you. And that requires trust and that requires vulnerability, but it also is the catalyst to growth. Um, so number one, seek feedback. Number two, find mentorship. Uh, you can join a team. You can reach out to somebody in our congregation who's got a little more experience under their belt. Uh, talk to somebody who's uh, been a follower of Jesus for a long time and just say, hey, I'd like for you to kind of guide me, kind of lead me. Doesn't mean that you're going to do everything they say, but having that input is helpful to, to help you overcome your blind spot. And thirdly, and most importantly, ask God for wisdom. Spend time saying, God, you know, I want to be used by you. I want, to be, I want you to develop me and my strengths and my skills. Can you just point out to me the things that I need to shore up and the things that I need to strengthen? Because I have a feeling they're, they're holding me back, but I don't quite know how to locate them. I don't know how to put my finger on them. Um, and so that's how we begin this process of exercising our strengths and diminishing our blind spots. Um, the, ne- the next point that is coming out of this passage is that your gifts are designed to interact with the gifts of others. Now, this may, be, this may seem highly intuitive to you, but I can guarantee you that all of you have been in either a family or a job or a school environment or some organizational environment where people from different departments or even just individuals like in a family uh, are not communicating with each other. There are walls of lack of... Some of you are laughing because you're like, yes, that's my workplace. Was he here this week? Um, you know... And you know that if person A would talk to person B, you could get this thing worked out. There would be more efficiency. Things would flow better. The product, the end product, whatever it is that you're creating would be better if there was communication, if the gifts were interlinking with each other instead of each person pursuing their own gift off on their own in their own department. Um, You may not know the name Ed Catmull, um, but you would know some of his work. Ed is the co-founder of Pixar Animation, and he's the head of uh, Walt Disney Animation. He's made a couple little films you may have heard of, Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles, Cars, a few little uh, indie films um, like that. You may know, and you may have the songs from those seared into your brain. Uh, But uh, what was interesting is in an interview, Ed Catmull said... um, that one of the secrets to the success of what he's done over and over is that he has purposely created environments where there are what he calls inadvertent encounters. 
So like at Pixar, they have a big atrium in the middle of the building. And the, bath- the bathrooms are there. The cafeteria is there. The meeting rooms are there. The mailboxes are there. And so by virtue of the fact of the design of the building, people from all different departments end up converging in this atrium. So set designers run into screenwriters who run into you know, producers who run into finance people who run into directors who run into animators and they form friendships and they build community and they have these inadvertent encounters with one another and what happens is their gifts and their strengths begin to link up and the final result is far better than if any of them were locked off in their own area doing their own thing isolated from other people, right? The... the the community of Christ is about not just developing your gifts. It's not a personal pursuit. Uh, it's about linking up with and using those gifts in conjunction with other people in the community of Christ. And Paul, in another passage, um, lays this out. He uses the same analogy, but in his letter to the Ephesians, he, he lays it out even more explicitly. He says, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So he's creating that image of like there are these ligaments and there's the sinew and there are joints and tendons and muscles and they're all, you know, one without the other doesn't work. They've got to be linked together to pull together to make the whole thing animated, to make the whole thing move. So again, I, I, I ask you, what are your strengths? What are your gifts? What are your skills? And how are you linking them up with others in the body of Christ, in the community of Christ? And if you're not, then I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to at least begin opening that possibility for yourself. Uh, You can do that by signing up on our dream team. You can come to our 201. You can email us. You know, uh, get involved in a life group. There are a lot of ways that you can begin to say, all right, I, I don't want to be on this journey by myself. I want to start linking up with other people because each one of us can only do so much on our own. But when together we are working together with the body of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can transform the world. When you've got a, pe- a group of people working together in their diverse strengths but pulled together by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can stop that group of people. Absolutely nothing in the world. Uh, in fact, and we're seeing that, we're becoming a church where church planters from, you know, new church planters out of seminary and and from different uh, areas around the the country are now coming to see how we're doing church. Um, I find that totally inspiring. We've had five church planters in the last probably eight weeks uh, come and meet with me and come to our church and see what we're doing and how we're doing it because there's something unique and, and powerful and exciting about what we're doing and they want to do the same thing. And I'm like, do it. Let's do this. You know, we had uh, a couple just the other day who is a, a, a new church planting couple. Um, they are, they were exhausted. They've been, you know, praying and preparing to plant churches. They've got little kids. They came in here. They dropped one of their kids off in the nursery and the other kids off in the uh, children's program. They came right, right over here and they sat and um, I went over and met them and talked to them. Uh, when the music was playing, there were tears streaming down their face. Um, preaching was pretty decent that week, so that was good. Um, no, but they, the, a- afterwards, I met with the, the guy, the husband, 
And he was like, man, I can't even tell you. He's like, my kids were so well taken care of. He said, we had like 12 people greet us by the time, you know, from the time we got to the door till the time we sat down. We just felt so welcomed and loved. That doesn't happen unless people are functioning in their gifts and in their strengths and in their skills. Somebody's out there holding a baby, you know, and, and, and so that these folks can come in and, and worship God. Somebody's teaching their kids. Uh, let me just challenge you. Get involved in that, man. There is nothing more rewarding, more fulfilling, more exciting than living out your purpose, exploring your gift, your strength in the body of Christ and seeing the results of it. I won't even get into some of the things that happened last week, but I had a number of people talk to me last week just about um, how God is moving in their hearts, people that have not been traditionally going to church or haven't gone to church in a long time or not sure where they stand on the whole faith thing, and they're coming here and they're experiencing the love of Christ, and God is opening their heart, and it's amazing. And it's because people are fill, you know, walking out their gifts. Have I made that point strong enough now? You know how Paul kept repeating himself in that passage? Um, I like that. Um, Okay. If you're one of the 60% of Christians that haven't discovered that yet for yourself, we want to help you do that here. Um, And then this is the the last point that I want to make. The community works best when all of its members discover, develop, and exercise their own particular gifts without the fear of failure. You can add that into your notes without the fear of failure. Possibly the greatest enemy to each of us fulfilling our purpose is our fear that we will fail at it. That is one of the greatest fears that grips the hearts of men and women who have a dream or a vision that God has placed in their heart to do something. We're scared we're going to blow it. And if I can be, you know, uh, vulnerable with you for a minute... That I, I've I struggled with that my whole life, uh, thinking about like all right if I in fact when we got ready to plant U City Family Church, my wife can testify I was in knots I would wake up in a cold sweat, freaking out about whether or not I was really going to be able to do this. I knew God had called me to do it. I was terrified of doing it. I would ride in the metro uh, from the Del Mar Loop downtown. And that's where Kirk and I met on that metro. Kirk didn't know it, but there were plenty of, uh, of days when I'm driving down there. I'm reading, um, you know, books about church planting and launching. And I am just like, my, the blood is drained out of my face because I'm terrified. Can this really happen? But in the Christian community, there were brothers and sisters that were around me going, hey, man, we support you. We're behind you. Uh, God is with you. And, you know, go for it. And if you fail, nobody's going to judge you. If it just, you know, it's no problem. Just go spread your wings a little bit and try it. And then we, we launched U City Family Church, and a couple years into it, there was that moment where, uh, you know, the, the trustees were and I were talking about, all right, is it time for me to leave my full-time job as a lawyer and start being a pastor full-time? Um, that's scary, guys. I, I mean, I got kids. I got a house. I got a wife. I got, you know, and... It was, it was scary. There would be times I would be driving in my Camaro uh, <laughs> down 40 and thinking about it and like praying and being a little bit paralyzed with fear and miss my exit. And I'd be like in the fields of Illinois, like, Lord, what just happened? Am I in Oz? Um, but in the Christian community, we can 
pick each other up if we fail. The, the church, listen to me, you, you probably haven't heard this before. The church should be the absolute safest place in your world for you to try and fail. It should be right here that you feel the absolute safest to say, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I'm going to give this a try. And if you fall, you're going to have brothers and sisters around you to help pick you up, dust you off, put you back on your feet, put, your arm around, put their arm around you, and walk you down the path. That's what the Christian community is about. Don't, don't hold back because of your fear of failure. In fact, if you look at any person in the Bible that did anything noteworthy at all, you're going to find someone that probably at one point was paralyzed with fear, and you're definitely going to, every single one of them was at some point in their life a colossal failure at what they tried to do. If you look at Abraham, you know, before he, he, was, he showed cowardice and dishonesty uh, when the stress came on and when the pressure came on. Sarah was unbelieving when God had uh, told her that she would bear a son. Moses was so afraid to pursue his dream that he actually wanted to die rather than go to Egypt. David was a moral and ethical just nightmare. That dude couldn't serve on, uh, you know, on, on any team in this church. He was, he was so messed up. Um, God used him. Jonah about-faced, ran from God, went the exact opposite direction. Jacob was a deceiver. Jesus' followers, every single one of them, abandoned him in his time of greatest need. And you know what? God used each and every single one of them. That's the beauty of the Christian community. It is filled with love and mercy and grace. And when you fall and when you falter, this should be the safest place for you to do that. This should be the place where people come together, help you, pick you up, and send you on your way. Uh, And I think that when we do that, when we do that, we will transform our community. As a church that grows in this sense of community where we are growing together in our gifts, discovering our gifts, developing our gifts, exercising our gifts in harmony with one another. This is the place where the lost will be found, where the found will find their ultimate spiritual potential, uh, where the hungry are fed, where the alienated find friendship, where, where the community around us experiences an irrepressible sense of unconditional love that they just can't even fathom. That's what happens when each and every one of us are willing to step up and do our part as part of the community of Christ. When we live out what that is, make, helping to take people that one step closer to God as a family, as a community. And so I just will challenge you, as I did last week, if you haven't gotten plugged in, if you haven't gotten involved, and you're just kind of waiting for a prompt, this is it. This is the prompt to get involved, to come over get involved in our 201 because when fall comes i'm telling you kids come back from uh, uh, students come back to to school and people start getting back in the routine uh we're going to need to have life groups we're going to need to have teams serving people this place will be filling up um and so i just want to challenge you this is the time Come over to our 201, and and at the end of August, we're going to launch our life groups again. Don't be scared to get involved in a life group. It only lasts about 13 weeks. If you totally hate everybody in the life group, you can just get out of it at the end. That's the beauty of it. I was uh, invited once to join a, a, a small group that it was the commitment. I would be there three hours a week for two years, every week. And I was like, 
that doesn't sound awesome to me. I'm going to uh, bail on that. But we're, you know, come, come get involved in a life group. If you're a member here and you want to start a life group or if you're even just thinking about it, maybe I could just get a few people together and do something that I'm already doing. Come, come on Saturday morning uh, and, and learn how to start a life group. Learn how to uh, get involved in a life group. Just plug in. Because not only will you experience greater fulfillment in your life than you've ever experienced before, and I guarantee you that, because when you are living out your calling in Christ, nothing is more rewarding. doesn't mean everything's smooth and easy and peachy. It just means that you're, you're locked into your, uh, your destiny, your calling, your purpose. And not only that, you're going to be a part of something much greater uh, than you could have ever imagined bringing people into that love, into that mercy, into that grace, into the family of God. So I want to challenge each and every one of you. Let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's do it as a community. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for um, your teaching. We're so grateful for uh, your challenge that we discover our strengths and discover the gifts that you have given us. Uh, Each and every one of us plays a part in your kingdom, in your family, in your community. And God, we just ask that you give each one of us insight and wisdom and clarity and focus. Uh, And give us, more than anything, give us courage to overcome the fear of what happens if we blow it, what happens if we fail, what happens if we run into difficulty? What happens when uh, they discover who we really are? What happens when uh, they realize that I have doubts or they realize that I have fears or, or, or they discover things that I've done? What, Lord, help us to have the courage to understand that your mercy, your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. That you will, that you will bring, uh, you'll bring your strength and your love into our hearts that we can share that with our friends and neighbors all around us. Help us, Lord, to become a community that helps people take that next step on their spiritual journey. Wherever they're at, just that next step, Lord, where they can begin to grow in you, understand you, learn about you, know you, experience you in their life. Help us to be that kind of community. Father, we praise you for this. May you receive all the honor and all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.